Thanks for joining us for this message from Awakened Church. We believe in the power of God's Word, and we pray that you're encouraged by this message. Now lean in as we hear from God's Word together. I'm excited that we get to continue in our series called Playlist. And um, in this series, what we're learning is that the book of Psalms is really just a book of songs that uh, uh, we've been calling this God's Divine Playlist for our lives. And so we've been looking at all kinds of different psalms in this series, and uh, we've looked at different songs in our life, the playlist for our life, you could say. We've looked about how to live the blessed life, how to deal with anxiety, shame, how to live a life of integrity. We uh, last weekend talked about how sometimes we can find ourselves in muddy pits and pits of destruction, and that God will deliver us, but sometimes it just takes waiting on him, and that he'll pull us out, that he will deliver us from that. And today we're going to be looking at Psalm 139. And I believe Psalm 139 is going to be a great reminder for us today. And I was thinking about reminders and I thought, man, I am a forgetful person. There are things that I mean to do that I just forget to do, or if I don't write it down, I'll forget to do it. And so I I think that I can be as a very forgetful person. For example, I might be in the kitchen doing some dishes that's not a fun task. And so I might be listening to a book and I'm like, okay, you know, let me listen to that book. This is a great time for me to listen to it. So I'll dry off my hands and I'll get into our room and I'll go, what am I in here for? Uh, what am I doing now? Why, what did I come in here? I should be doing the dishes. And so I'll get back and do the dishes again and go, oh yeah, I want to listen to that book. Maybe you've done that before, or uh, maybe for you, you're like me. I was getting ready for work one day and got in my car and I plugged in my phone so I could listen to a podcast. Uh, the Nate Land podcast. You should check it out still. Uh, still a big fan of that. And uh, so I, I'll plug it in and I'm driving on my way into work and uh, I'm going, oh man, I need to call somebody. And I, I reach in my pocket. I'm like, my phone's not here. I guess I left it at home. I turned all the way around, got home and realized, oh, my phone's with me the whole time. That's why I'm listening to the podcast. Now, I wish I could say that was not a true story that I embellished a little bit. No, that's actually a true story. It's embarrassing that that happened. I'm a forgetful person. We all need reminders. You know, we wear reminders too. Like for me, I have a wedding ring that reminds me that I'm married to a very strong, beautiful, loving, caring wife who loves me more than she should. And so it reminds me that I'm married. We have apps to remind us things too. We have apps to remind us to call people, make appointments, um, go uh, uh, make phone calls to certain people. Even in church, we have reminders Worship is a reminder. It reminds us how big God is. We have baptism and communion to remind us what God has done for us as well. So we have reminders all over the place. But why do we need reminders? Why do we need apps? Why do we wear rings? Why do we sing reminders? Why do we need all these reminders? Because we are forgetful people. The great news is the Bible is a book of reminders too. If you didn't know that, that's what it is. It's full of reminders. It's reminding us of how much God loves us, how much God cares about us, how much God knows us, how much God's thinking about us. It reminds us that God is very uh, involved in our lives and is aware of everything we're going through. And the reality is sometimes we can forget that, right? We can forget how much God loves us and cares about us. And I believe Psalm 139 is going to be a great reminder for us today. And the title of today's message and the theme that we're going to be talking about is that we can be fully known and fully loved by God. I would encourage you later to read Psalm 139's 24 verses because David, in 24 verses, is going to be constantly reminding us of how much we are known by God, that nothing is hidden from his sight. 
He knows what we're facing right now. He knows what we're going through. Now, I don't know what you're going through right now. I don't know the things that you're facing right now. Maybe you've come here today and you have worry and anxiety and you've got some fears. Maybe for you, you feel like you're all alone and no one cares and no one's there to help you. Maybe you've even wondered at times if God's even there because there can be times in our lives where we go throughout a day and we wonder if God's even there because he seems unresponsive or has abandoned us. But I want to remind you today that nothing could be further from the truth. God's here with us right now. God's with us when we leave here today. God is with us. He hasn't left us. He hasn't abandoned us. He knows everything about us, and he loves us. So how do I know that? Well, the first seven verses of Psalm 139 tell us that. In fact, look at what it says in verse 1. It says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? I love that David ends with those two rhetorical questions. Where am I supposed to go? What am I supposed to do? Wherever I go, you're there. You already know. Psalm 139 speaks of God's perfect and complete knowledge of us. He knows us inside and out. He knows us through and through. I mean, even just in verse 2, he says, you know when I sit down and when I rise up. Basically, what he's saying is you know all my actions. When he says, hey, you know what thoughts I'm thinking even before I speak them. God knows our words well before we even know it. In fact, when I was um, reading this this morning, just kind of reviewing over my notes, I'm reminded that I do have notes. I have a thought process of where I want us to go, but often I don't always just go off of that. And so there's things that I'm going to say today that I don't even know what I'm going to say, but God knows all of that. God knows all of our actions. He knows what we're going to say. He goes before us. He goes behind us. He's all around us. His hand is on us. He knows all of our thoughts, our fears, our ambitions. He knows us through and through, and he fully knows us, and yet he still fully loves us. And so I see three reminders in Psalm 119 that I want to point out to you today. And the first one is nothing is hidden in God's sight. God knows every single thing there is to know about us. Nothing is hidden from him. He knows it all. Now, in most instances, that can be sort of an intimidating thing, right? I mean, imagine if you're out in the lobby later, you got some coffee, or maybe you saw the soda, or maybe the sparkling water, and so you're like, I'm going to grab some of that. And you grab a drink, and you're just standing there talking, and somebody sees you, and they come up to you, and they grab you by the arm, and they say this, I know everything about you. I know what you did when you thought no one else was looking. And then they let you go, and they run away. Now, besides being super creepy, what would our next thought be? It might be, we're not expecting to be encouraged, right? We're not expecting them to go, hey, I know everything about you. I just want to let you know. I think you're a swell individual. You're a really great person. Like, hey, you're a great person. I think you're doing a great job. No, we're not expecting that at all. We're expecting to be embarrassed. We're expecting to be humiliated. If somebody says, hey, I know everything about you, what does it do for us? It strikes fear into our hearts. We'll often think, well, what do you know? What have you seen? This strikes fear in us. But David, what he's saying in these verses shouldn't creep us out at all. 
Because really what these verses are is it's a test in our relationship with God. See, because if we know that God is watching us and is aware of us and is thinking about us, that should bring us joy. In fact, if it does bring you joy, I think for you, that's an indication that you're probably right with God. And that doesn't mean that you've achieved this whole other level of Christianity, that you're above everybody else, that you're not sinning anymore. That's not what I'm talking about. But the fact, if it brings you joy, that God knows everything about you, and you're trying to live this life for Jesus, you're in God's word, you're praying, you're confessing sin, you're trying to have this relationship, and the fact that Jesus knows everything about you brings you joy, then I think that's a good thing. But if God's watching over you, he knows everything about you, and he's thinking about you, if that gives you some fear, that terrifies you a little bit, I think that's a warning sign that you're not where you're supposed to be spiritually. When we're reminded that nothing is hidden from God, our actions, our words, nothing we do is hidden. Where shall we go? What shall we do? God is there. He knows everything. When we know that fact, it should encourage us and spur us on to want to live a life of integrity. It should want us to live a life that glorifies him, that honors him. But so often when we forget that truth, that God knows everything about us, When we forget that truth, sometimes what happens to us is we can slip into our old sinful habits. So the fact that nothing is hidden from God's sight, does that give you great dread or fear? Or does that give you great joy and comfort? Because see, no matter how you feel about it, the fact is God knows everything about you. Nothing is hidden from you, from him. And not only does he know everything, he's also thinking about you. In fact, how do I know that? Verse 17 says, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and am still with you. Think about that for just a second. What this verse is getting at is, God, your thoughts towards me are so much more than the sand. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever been to Destin, Florida before. Uh, our family's going to be vacationing there in a few weeks, and we're really excited about it. Uh, our family, I don't know who's looking forward to it more. I think it's me. But uh, last year, we couldn't go to the beach, and so we're excited to get back on the beach again and have some time. But if you've ever been to Destin, Florida before, or any beach for that matter, you know that the sand is everywhere. And not only is it everywhere, but it follows you everywhere as well, Right? We've, we've gone to the beach and the sand is like all over the hotel room. And I'm like, why do we have more sand here than we do at the beach? In fact, just this last week, I was putting my oldest son Brody to bed and I was telling him good night. And I looked on his little nightstand. What did he have? A bag of white sand. And I was like, what are you doing? He was like, I just got it to remember the beach. And I was like, man, we have sand everywhere. It follows us everywhere. But that's what this verse is saying. It's saying that God's thoughts towards you are more numerous than all the little grains of sand that make up all the beaches of the world. That's how much God is thinking about you. So the next time you're at a beach or the next time you see some sand, pick up a a handful of that sand and count those tiny grains of sand and remind yourself that God's thoughts towards you are more precious and they are more than what's in your hand right there. But not only is he thinking about you, but he knows every single thought that you've had. He knows everything you've done. Now, how many people in your life can say that they know everything about you? Not even your BFF. The one you're like, I just, I tell them everything. No, you don't. There's still some things you're not telling your BFF. And so God knows everything about you. He knows everything that you've thought, everything that you've said. And instead of being annoyed with you and irritated with you and angry with you, it says that God's thoughts towards you are precious. I think we need to be reminded of that today. 
Because for some of us, you've never heard that before. For some of you, you've heard that before, but you just don't believe it. Because we tend to interpret our life based off of how it's going in the moment. So if our life's a little uncomfortable or, you know, it's a little bit difficult, we think, well, obviously God's not paying attention to me. Obviously God doesn't care about me or I wouldn't be going through this right now. But that's not the case. God has a purpose and a plan for everything we go through. He has a strategy for your life. You may not see it, but God has always seen it. He always has a plan. He's paying attention to what you're facing right now. He's paying attention to what you really need right now. God's thoughts towards you are precious, and they can't even be numbered. Now, I don't know about you, but God knowing everything about me and his thoughts towards me are still precious is a little unnatural. Because when I'm hurt or wounded or offended by somebody else, you know what, I, you know what often my natural reaction is? It's to get even. I gotta get even with them. You hurt me, I'm gonna hurt you. I know how to break you down. I know what to say. I don't think I'm the only one who struggles with that either. Because if you've ever been hurt or wounded or offended by someone before, are your thoughts precious towards them? They are not. They are some other things that we can't talk about here in the house of the Lord, but they are not precious, that's for sure. When someone offends us or hurts us or wounds us in some way, maybe a conversation on the phone, an email, something on social media, we read it and we just want to lash out to them. We want to say, oh, that's what you think. Here's what I think. And we want to go at it, but we're trying to live a life that's pleasing to the Lord. So we're like, I can't say what I really want to say. I know for me, I'm like, I'm a Christian. I can't say what I really want to say. I'm a pastor at a church too. So I really can't do it then, but I will tell you off. I will tell you what I think, but I'll do it in my car all by myself on the way home, right? (laughs) Maybe you've been there before too. You know, you'll pause the praise music for just a second. You'll turn on some aggressive music, Christian aggressive music too, by the way, and you're just going to go, ah, and you're just venting and you're letting it all out. You're just telling them off in your own head and you're going over this dialogue, but rarely does it ever give us any kind of satisfaction. Rarely are our thoughts precious towards other people who've wronged us. I don't do it. You probably don't do it. We don't do it. It doesn't come naturally. But the Bible tells us that even while we were sinners, even when we were the most offensive to God, even when we wanted nothing to do with God, even when we were at our worst, God still sent his son Jesus and died for us. His thoughts were compassionate and precious to us. Now, I don't want you to sit here today and think, well, if I'm living in sin, that's so good to know that God's thoughts are precious towards me. I can just keep doing whatever I want to do. At least his thoughts are precious. That's not the case at all. God is thinking about you. He doesn't like that sin that you're in, but the Bible tells us that it's in his kindness that he leads us to repentance. So don't think for a minute that you're in sin and God's like, oh, isn't that cute? No, that's not it at all. He's thinking about you. He's aware of that sin, but he loves you to, keep, to bring you to repentance, to keep you going on the right path. When you understand that God knows everything about your life, that nothing is hidden from him, even though you might try to hide and manipulate what other people see about you or think about you, when you accept and embrace the truth that God knows everything, he knows your heart, he knows your actions, he knows your words, he knows you through and through. When you accept that fact, you can echo what David says later on in verse 19. Look at what it says. It says, Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malice intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? 
And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them as my enemies. Some of us read that and go, calm down, David. It's a lot of hatred there. We're going to focus here, 23 and 24. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Here's the second reminder. God wants to expose the enemy in me. See, Psalm 139 is a prayer of David's, and it's after God's enemies and his enemies are on the tack. And these enemies, they're saying some things about David. They're saying some things about him that aren't true, and they're on the attack with him. And instead of him going, no, 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 that's not me. Let me blast you on social media. Let me tell you what I really think. What does he do? He goes to prayer. He turns to prayer and he goes to God. And that's what Psalm 139 is, is David's prayer to God about all of these attacks. And he actually prayed a very dangerous prayer in verse 23 when he said, search my heart. Now, for some of us, when we read that, we go, well, this began with you searched me and known me. So why is he saying search me again, God? Like, what's the point of that? Why am I being, why do we need to have God search us if he already knows us? If the theme of today is that we're fully known and yet we're fully loved by God, then why do we need to be searched? Why is David praying? Why would I even need to pray, search me, oh God? Because David here is praying that God would kill all of his enemies. He's like, God, your enemies are my enemies. But listen, David isn't looking down at his nose at all those people and going, huh, I'm the spiritual elite get behind me. That's not what he's doing. He's not looking down at his nose and going, God, kill those people. He knows. He realizes that apart from God's saving grace, we're all doomed. We're all in the same boat. In fact, that's true of every single one of us in this room today or watching online. We're all sinners separated from God, headed for eternity apart from God. But because of Jesus, some of us have been saved. Some of us have the hope of heaven. And so what David here is, he's praying. He's like, guess what? We're all enemies of God. David knows how sinful he can be. He knows how wicked his heart can be. He's like, God, I want to make sure that I'm not an enemy. See, sometimes we could come in here, and maybe we've come in here today, and we feel like we have a good heart. Some people say, oh, do you see how good of a heart they have? They have such a good heart. Do you see how much they gave to that organization? They have such a big heart. Do you see how they're serving these people? Oh, they have such a big heart because they open up their house to everybody. We could say, oh, don't they have such a great heart? But Jeremiah uh, 17, 9 says nothing about that. It doesn't say, oh, your heart's so good. No, it says that it's wicked. It's desperately deceitful. Who really knows how bad it is? See, our hearts lie to us. Our hearts um, can uh, uh, be full of pride, lust, gossip. Our hearts are wicked. And so David wants God to investigate his life, to make sure that David isn't an enemy of God. So when David is praying, God, strike down these enemies, he's like, just just to be safe. Are we good, God? I just want to make sure we're good. He's praying that prayer because he doesn't want to get struck down either. He's praying that God would form him and mold him and make him into the image he wants him to be. David desires this close relationship with God. In the midst of all these accusations, against all these attacks that are coming against David, David wants God to search him and make sure none of them are true. He's like, just to be safe, God, is there any truth to what these people are saying? He's asking God to expose anything that shouldn't be there. The question for us today, what we need to ask ourselves today is, when was the last time you prayed, God, search me? 
I was talking to Pastor AJ about this text this last week, and I, I said, you know, I wonder how many times that we've ever prayed, God, search me and see if there's not anything there that shouldn't be there. Like, how many times do you think we often pray that? And he reminded me of just how many people go through TSA every time they fly, right? Like, how many times do we say when we're flying to a destination, we're like, search me, TSA agents, and make sure that there's nothing in me that's going to bring down that plane, right? Millions of Americans just say, search me, to TSA. But when was the last time you said, search me, O oh God? Expose anything in my heart that shouldn't be there. So that when I get to heaven, I'll hear, well done, good and faithful servant. A lot of us, I don't think, pray that prayer. I don't think we pray it. We don't want to ask God about it. We don't even want God to search us because we're afraid of what God's going to show us. We're afraid there's going to be some things in our hearts that just aren't pure. We're afraid there's going to be some things in our hearts that we're just like, I don't know if I'm ready to let that go. We're afraid we're going to see some things that God's going to want to get rid of in our life and it's going to be painful and it's going to hurt, but we need to pray that prayer. God, search me. And don't be shocked when God reveals something in your life that shouldn't be there. When you do pray that, you might go, how did that get there? When did that pop up? Ugh, that's gross. But we need to be people who are praying, God, search me. We need to lay our lives before God and ask him to expose things that shouldn't be there and get rid of them. Because we could come in here today and we can look like we're spiritually healthy on the outside. We might even feel spiritually healthy but there may be sin in our life that's hindering our walk with God that it needs to be revealed so we can have a closer relationship with him. It's for our good that God reveals what is making us spiritually sick so it can be removed so we can be spiritually healthy. David is basically saying, Lord, you're the doctor. If I have to go under the knife, then let me do it. If something needs to be cut out, cut it out. If something needs to be done, Lord, do it now. David's like, I know you know what's best for me. I know you know that you're looking out for me and whatever you do will ultimately benefit me. And so sometimes God has to make some incisions in our life. Sometimes the Lord has to make some changes and it can hurt us. But would you think of it as a bad thing if the doctor took his scalpel and cut out cancer that was rapidly spreading through your body? It wouldn't be a fun process. It wouldn't be a fun day. But the very thing that's going to cause you temporal pain now will ultimately save your life. So when you say, Lord, I lay my life before you, expose anything that might be there, the Lord might say, well, that's got to go right there. That's a cancer thing. It's going to spread into your whole life. It needs to be dealt with. And we might say, well, God, but it's just a little thing. It's not a big thing. I mean, no, it's not good, but it's not that big of a deal. Look at those people over there. They're doing a whole lot worse things than I am. God, don't deal with me right now. But the reality is the little things can turn into big things. And so our sin needs to be dealt with. We need to guard ourselves against it and ask God to search us, to make sure that there's not something there that needs to be there. We need to ask God to expose the enemy within ourselves. And here's the last reminder is that our faith can force out fear. Again, verse 23 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Pay attention here. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That phrase, try, try me and know my thoughts, could be translated to say, test me and know my fears. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. So what makes you anxious? 
I'm not talking about spiders or snakes or tornadoes here. What makes you anxious? You afraid of uh, losing your job? Not getting married? Being stuck in a marriage? You afraid of the future? Afraid of failing? Afraid of loss? Anxiety begins to wreak havoc in our thoughts. And I don't think I have to spend very much time convincing you that this is a very real thing. In fact, week two, we talked about how to get out of the elevator of anxiety. Anxiety is a very real thing that we struggle with. It's the number one health issue for women. It's the number two health issue for men right behind uh, drugs and alcohol. We live in a world today that we could argue has never been safer. Technology has never been more advanced. We live in a world today where we have access to more healthy food so we can live longer and live healthier lives. We are living longer than we ever have lived before, and yet we have never been more anxious than we have been before. So why is David praying this? Why does this matter to us? Why do we need to be reminded of this? I think what's being shown here in these verses is what I fear the most is where I'm trusting God the least. Often what we fear the most is where we're trusting God the least. If I'm scared that my marriage isn't going to get any better, then I'm not trusting God that he's going to work in my marriage. If I'm scared that I'm going to lose my job or not be able to pay the bills, then I'm not trusting God to be my provider. If I'm constantly trying to keep my kids in a bubble and do everything I can to keep them safe and to a level that is true, but if we're doing that all the time, then we're not trusting God with our kids. And so there's a real fear of the unknown and trusting God with it. But I think also what David's getting at is that there's a real fear of not being fully known. We can feel anxious and think, does anybody know me? We can feel I'm all alone, I'm going through this. Does anybody know what I'm wrestling with right now? And so you take those two things, the fear of the unknown, the fear of not being known, and you bring them together, it's a recipe for great anxiety in our lives. Our fear and our anxiety can be like a tidal wave of what ifs. And we need to figure out what to do with our fear before it turns into anxiety. I, I wouldn't ask you to pray this prayer if this isn't something that I'm already doing in my life. In fact, uh, it's been going on for almost a year that I've been praying this prayer in my own life. Praying that God would search me. And let me tell you, it's not a lot of fun to pray that. Sometimes I go, God, search me. You know, like I don't really want him to. And I'll, then I'll also pray, test me and know my anxious thoughts. And you know, I feel like what the Lord's revealed to me over the last several months is what I'm afraid of most, the thing that I'm afraid of, the thing that I fear the most is failing. And not just failing, but letting people down. And even more so, it's not that I'm not going to be righteous enough or holy enough or, or spiritually smart enough or that I'm not good enough. And this is a real problem for me. Because one of the ways that I lead here is that I'm not led by fear, but led by faith. In fact, sometimes people ask me, what's your favorite Bible verse? Or what's your life verse? And I think it often changes because the Lord's often working new things in my life. I would say over the last year, it's Hebrews eleven six. It says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Our fears will keep us from being obedient to what God has called us to do. Often the Lord might say, hey, I need you to give a little more, serve a little more. I need you to uh, maybe be in an awakened group this year. Hey, I need you to go tell your family member about who I am. I need you to tell some of your coworkers who are really going through some things. I put you there so that you could share the good news of me to your friends, to your coworkers. And we go, well, God, you know, 
got a list here of why that might not work or a list of my fears. I don't know that that's going to work out, okay? And it keeps us from being obedient to God. But what I'm learning in my life right now is that there's no guarantees that everything's going to work out perfectly. I think the AC unit's a perfect example in my life. Anytime I hear that thing, I'm reminded that God's in control. I would have never wanted this to happen, but, you know, he's letting it happen, and that's okay. Things are out of my control. Not everything's going to work out perfectly. But I have to be willing to be obedient to God and to please him more than I have this fear of being a failure. See, if you're struggling here today with your fear, your anxiety, know that having fear is not a bad thing. The thing that bothered me most in 2020 were all these pastors were going up and saying, if you have fear over coronavirus, then you are not a Christian. You have no faith. And that was bothering me. Because last time I read the Bible, there's some people who had some fear. Some people who were some anxious about some things. I think they missed a key aspect to this. Because we need to do something with our fear. Jesus even said, in this world, you will have trouble. Simply put, in this world, you will have some fear. You will have some anxiety. But Jesus said, put your trust in me. That's what faith is. Faith is not pie in the sky, believing uh, the invisible God in the sky. Everything's going to be okay. Faith is taking your fear, and this is what was missing. We take our fear, and we put it in the person of Jesus. He says, come and put your faith in me. Meaning there'll still be doubts, there'll still be questions, you're still gonna have concerns, but trust Jesus. So why do we need reminders? Why do we wear reminders? Why do we sing our reminders? Why do we have apps to remind us of some things? Because we are forgetful people. And what I found out as I've walked with the Lord, the longer I've walked with the Lord is this, that I tend to forget what I should remember and I remember what I should forget. See, Psalm 139 is a song for us to sing, to remind ourselves of the fact that we are fully known by God, and yet we are fully loved by Him. God knows everything about us. He knows our actions. He knows our thoughts. He knows our fears. He knows the enemy within ourselves. He fully knows us, and yet He fully loves us. In fact, I read a quote this week by a pastor named Timothy Keller. And he says this quote, and I think it really sums up everything we've been talking about today. He says this, To be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of our self-righteousness, and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. See, to be searched and loved no matter what is found is the hope of Jesus. Some of us think that the Christian life is a path to becoming more moralistic or um, becoming the spiritual superhero in our lives. Morality is our aim, and so we pat ourselves on the back when we feel like we've done some good things. We think that following Jesus is a checklist of some things that we need to do in our life, and then it doesn't become a relationship anymore. And so when we mess up, when we fail, we'll feel devastated, and we don't want to go on when we forget this truth, that we are fully known and fully loved. The Bible does have heroes in it, but most of the heroes in the Bible aren't actually heroes at all. 
They make some big mistakes. They get afraid and they run away. They say some things they shouldn't say. They do some things they shouldn't do. They, they uh, have their foot in the mouth all the time. They make up a, bo- a bunch of excuses. And when I'm reminded of those things, often I feel like it sounds a lot like me. The Bible is filled with stories of people who failed over and over and over again. The Bible is filled with people who have moral failings. But rather than depress us, it should encourage us and give us hope. We find hope because in the Bible we see a God who pursues broken failures. In spite of their sin, in spite of their mistakes, in spite of everything, the Bible is filled with God who fully knows people and fully loves them. In fact, Paul says this in Romans 5, 8, God shows his love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is the life we're invited into, to have this deep relationship with God that fully knows everything about us, knows our sins, knows our actions, knows our fears, and yet he still loves us. We have hope because God sees our brokenness and still pursues us anyways. And because God loves us and knows us and is thinking about us, we should put our faith and trust and hope in him. And for some of you today, that's where you just need to start. Putting your faith and trust and hope in Jesus so that you can say what David said later on at the very end of this and lead me to the way everlasting. Jesus is the way everlasting. Jesus said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one... You and me, no one can come to the Father except through Jesus. No matter how good we think we are, no matter how moral we think we are, we cannot do enough to get to God, to reconcile us back to God. It's only through Jesus. Jesus went to the cross and he rose again so that you could have this relationship with him. If you're here today and you're far from God, you know that you were to die today, you would not be with God today, then I want to encourage you in a few moments to just lift up your hand And pray a simple prayer with me. Confessing your sins. Admitting to those sins. Listen, God already knows all of them. He's not like, what? He's not shocked by them. He knows them. And even though he knows them, he fully loves you and will forgive you right as you are. You might think, well, I have to go away for a couple weeks, clean some things up. That's not it at all. You can come just as you are and you can be fully known and fully loved by him. But I want to talk to the believer for just a second. If you're following Jesus, you're reading God's word, you're praying, you're confessing sin in your life, you're trying to walk with Jesus, and you just feel like, I don't know that God hears me. I feel distant from God right now. I'm confessing sin, but I feel like constantly failing. I want to remind you that you are fully known and you are fully loved by God. In fact, God would say this of you. Because of, your, because of Jesus' blood that's covered your life, he's looking at you through the lens of Jesus. And he says, I am pleased with you. I think regardless of what camp you're in, whether you're a believer or a non-believer here today, I think it's a great reminder from Psalm 139 that we can be fully known, yet we are fully loved by God. Amen? Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We'd love to hear how this message or the ministry of Awaken has impacted your life. Let us know at awaken.church forward slash my story.